Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio, North America's only show dedicated to the equipment used to feed, clothe, and fuel the world. I am Ray Bohax, and if you don't know that by now, it means that you did not listen, right? Because uh, with this accent, people know who I am. And I am the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And yes, imagine that you're listening to a farmer from New Jersey. And as you know, we get together here every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern with a re-air and encore of the same episode at 6 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, and that is exclusively heard on Rural Radio Sirius XM Channel 147. And one week after the show airs, it is listed as a podcast either on my website, farmmachinerydigest.com, or all major podcast hosting sites. And I want to thank you so much, and I mean that sincerely. I am honored that you are choosing to spend the next half hour with this guy from New Jersey, right? So I always say that because it truly is an honor to know that you are listening to me. And if you want to reach out to me, my email address is hotrodfarmer at farm machinerydigest.com in this past week on the farm getting ready to plant no i have no seed in the ground not because of mechanical issues or electrical issues because that's what today's show is about because the weather is not ready for me to put sweet corn in the ground it's been cold it's been damp uh, we did get some much needed rain and i have low cec soil and uh it's very tight and if it you can't i mean you, you could mud any you just look at that soil when it's not not the right temperature and still too cold or too much moisture and you'll mud the corn in so we're not mudding anything in we're going to wait till the good lord makes the field ready to put seed in the ground so that it could jump up out of the ground like a drag car leaving the line right my best uh or my quickest emergence i ever had was in 2016 you know you're a farmer when you remember emergence dates right and um it was four and a quarter days so it was my first year of no-till and uh the soil was nice and warm and we had some rain a nice rain after i planted and it was like four it was four and a quarter days and i had uh, a beautiful row of corn popping through the soil that's always so nice to see especially my first year of no-till that you kind of you always remember that you're first right so uh the first year of no-till and uh that was pretty good but a couple of quick things i want to bring up to you before we get into the topic of today's show is that number one uh please reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and I had given you that address just before. And let me know what you think of the concept of two-part shows. Because the show is only a half hour. And I want to get into a little bit more detail on some technical things. And uh, it could always be carried over to the following week. And you say, hey, Hot Rod, that's no good. Because I'm, I wonder if I missed one of the parts. Well, it's always listed as a podcast. So you could always get it the, the week after it airs as a podcast. And actually, that may even be better because you could listen to both shows uh, consecutively, right? When you're in the tractor, you could listen to part one and part two. So let me know what you think about that. And I would, uh, I'm trying to toy with some ideas to tune this up and to give you a higher level of education. And uh, that is that. And I also want to thank Mr. Wesley Diamond from Stratroy, Ontario, because he reached out to me and he gave 
gave me a pin in my map. So he is go going to get into the contest to win a Hot Rod Farmer license plate and one of the Fent die cast models. Thank you so much. And uh, Mr. Diamond from Strat, I have to write this down, Stratroy, if I pronounce it correctly, Stratroy, Ontario, Canada. And the other thing I wanted to ask you was that I want to start to look in or do or represent and bring to you my audience some information about drones using drones on the farm specifically for spraying for maybe cover crop seeding for uh, foliar feeding what have you so if anyone out there in the audience uh is using a drone not a drone service but using a drone to do things on their farm uh, like I said, spraying, cover crop seeding, what have you, please reach out to me because I don't, I want to eventually get a drone company on the show, which obviously is not going to be a problem. Any company jumps on, that jumps on board to be on a show, right? But the thing is that I want to first get practic a practical real life user's story about drones. Not so, I mean, it could be about the brand you have, but you know, the pitfalls and just, just the real life stuff about how it how it is to to use a drone in your agricultural operation and not just for taking pictures but for doing some sort of uh service so i want to ask you to please reach out to me if you don't want to be on the show that's fine i could talk to you off air but i would love to have you on the show and uh introduce you to the audience and you could share your experience because as packard cars used to say years ago ask the man that owns one so that is what we're going to have to do because to get the real deal with this we're going to have to uh have some actual users on there because respectfully a company that does a drone service or makes drones is just going to tell you it's the greatest thing since sliced bread so listen sit pat during the short break and when we come back we're going to go over my electrical conundrums that i had this past week bye bye Agriculture is constantly changing, so it's great to have a station to turn to each day to keep up on the latest in farming and ranching. Sirius XM's Rural Radio. Each weekday on Ag PhD Radio, we discuss what you need to know to make your crops healthy and profitable. Your money. The Market Day Report. Five hours of news that matters to rural America. The lifeblood of information for farmers and ranchers. Sirius XM's Rural Radio. The agribusiness and western lifestyle channel. Sirius XM 147 and on the SXM app. Rural Radio is the first and only national radio channel on Sirius XM serving rural Americans. Each weekday morning, stay current with real-time data, expert analysis on the markets, and tailored forecasts you care about with Market Day Report. Then, in the afternoon, catch up on shows like Real Ag, Ag PhD, Shark Farmer, and Western Sports Roundup. Rural Radio 147, the agribusiness and Western lifestyle channel. Hello, I'm Ethan Wayne. Last year I had the privilege, along with my family, to pay tribute to our father, and certainly one of the greatest American heroes of all time, by opening John Wayne and American Experience in the Fort Worth Stockyards. Visitors love it. There's so much to see from memorabilia stemming from a lifelong movie career to our family car my dad brought home when I was just a boy. Come spend a couple hours and immerse yourself in the Western nostalgia. Get a unique look into the Duke's life that's only available here. Can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. Well, when the railroad pays off, you can take 20000 out of the kitty for me. Well, I guess you'll have to excuse me, ladies. Son, since you haven't learned to respect your elders, 
It's time you learn to respect your better. Tickets are available on JohnWade.com or they can be purchased at the Cowboy Channel Bar across the street on Exchange Avenue. Reserve your tickets now. Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. And I believe when I went to break, I said bye-bye again. I don't know why I did that for. I did a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I guess I'm tight into time going to the break and uh, whatever. So, hey, I'm not going to make any excuses for that. But I had two electrical problems or two electrical issues uh, on the farm this week, and I want to share them with you because even though I don't want you to think that they're application-specific to my equipment, and remember, that's an engineering term, like an agronomist saying, read and follow all label instructions, but it's I, I want it to be a catalyst for food for thought for you when you are diagnosing electrical problem. Alrighty, uh, the first problem I had was with my John Deere lawn tractor. And it's a John Deere D110. It's a 2017. It has about 300 hours on it. Uh, has the it has the original battery in it. Uh, it took it out of the out of the shed uh, over the winter. Started right up. Boom. Always does. I cut the grass by the farmhouse, and then I wanted to go cut the grass. And if you listen to the podcast, you heard part of the story and uh, my idle chatter podcast. And I went to. Um, I cut the grass by the house, beautiful, no problems whatsoever, shut it off. The next morning, I said to my wife, I'm going to go cut the grass around the perimeter of the cornfield because I want to get ready to do work in the field. And it was growing pretty tall, first cut of the year. Go to start the tractor, it's completely dead, I mean, electrically dead. So... I knew what had happened to it. Uh, how did I know what happened to it? Because it just, <laughs> I kind of, as a Christian, I don't believe in jinxes and curses, but I even said to myself, boy, this battery's still good, five years old. But batteries experience what is called sudden death, sudden death syndrome, or I call it that. Uh, and I did a podcast on it. So if you want to go back and go over to my website and you could listen to that. Um, and what basically happens is the battery breaks inside that the tie bar that ties the cells together because they're all in series because each cell is about 2.1 volts so so there's six cells on a 12 volt battery that tie bar breaks and why does it break because it is sacrificial to making electricity in the acid the electrolyte in the battery over time eats it all right so we'll leave it at that you can listen to the podcast i go into much more detail and when the battery depending upon how the tie bar breaks it could have zero voltage in it it could have maybe one one cell or two cells put together three or four volts so and that could happen at any time uh so i knew the battery broke inside so i said to myself let me put it on the on the battery charger the jump for the jump start mode jump started right put my voltmeter on the uh, across the battery yes the alternator is charging all right and it was charging a little bit on the high side 16 volts 16 point i think it was 16.68 volts which i said that's a lot of charging right but I felt it was charge overcharging simply because it sensed that the battery only had maybe two or three volts in it because of the tie bar broke. All right, so I said it'll run off the alternator. I'll run down to the field and I'll cut along the highway there, which I wanted. That's the only place I wanted to cut that day. And as long as I don't stall it or shut it off, it'll run off the alternator. 
running beautifully, no popping, no nothing. So uh, the reason why I'm saying that is because that's an indicator of a voltage problem. So if you have a, 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 a gasoline engine and it starts to pop and stuff like that, and you you, you may have a low voltage, and this is a basically a, a lawn tractor. So I said to myself, I got good voltage. I confirmed it a little bit high. Didn't like that. <clears throat> Going down Cat Swamp Road, boom, it shuts right off like you shut the key off. And obviously, I can't try to crank it because the battery's broken inside. So to make a long story short, what had happened is that the solenoid, there's a solenoid in the bowl of the carburetor, and they call it an anti-backfiring solenoid. It's the government taking control of everything. All right, we won't go there. Short, there's a short show. Can't get off on that tangent, even though I would love to. And uh, so I check, I check this. Uh, the carburetor is getting no gas. It's getting gas to the carburetor to the inlet, but it's not getting any. It's getting gas to the carburetor, but it's not getting gas through the circuits of the carburetor, because what this solenoid does is shuts off the fuel to the main metering circuit. So that's why it shut right off like that. Because when it shut off, I said this felt electrical. Because if it was running out of gas, it would go blah, 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 and then, sh- excuse me, and then shut off. And so. I checked the solenoid. It's got 12 volts to it. The ground is good. Put an ohmmeter across the solenoid, and the solenoid is burned open, okay? It's infinite resistance. So I have to order the solenoid. That was a story unto itself because uh, the label or the the serial number of the tractor came off because they only use a decal now, and I wash my equipment a lot, and it came off. So the John Deere deal, I can't do anything without a serial number of the tractor because it's a Briggs & Stratton engine. So I just went to a source that's a Briggs & Stratton dealer and gave them the, the serial number from the engine, which the John Deere dealer could not work with whatsoever, all right? So, uh, and I got I got a solenoid. But the thing that, the thing, the important message here is that I put the solenoid tractor started right up. Once I wanted to go back and check the charging circuit. Very simple to do on anything. You just take the voltmeter, your multimeter, put it across the positive on the positive side of the battery, negative on the negative side, and you read your voltage. You read it on the twenty volt scale on a multimeter. And uh, so with the with the engine running now with the solenoid and the new, I put a new battery in it. Excuse me. Put a new battery, put the solenoid, I'm at 13.88, 13.9 volts, which is perfect. I would like to see maybe 14.2, but that's probably where they have the regulator set on that. That's more than enough. To just to, I mean, that's fine. That's perfect. So, uh, but I had said to myself, you know, and I came to the conclusion, and this is the take-home message here on this episode, is that... I cannot, you know, and things in life happen, and you say, is it a coincidence or is it not a coincidence? Well, the thing basically is, is that the tractor, as I said, only has 300 hours on it, all right, never had a problem with it before, that I think that 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 fuel shutoff solenoid is made so poorly, all right, $93 and made in China. They can't tell me that we can't make this in the United States and in North America for $93, I mean, if it was like eighteen dollars, all right, fine. That's what they're making in China. I'd rather pay ninety-three and get an American-made one. But ninety-three dollars from China, and I, what I gleaned, or the conclusion I came to, is that the sixteen volts on overcharging 
that the solenoid, the windings in the solenoid are so marginal because the solenoid is an electromagnet. It's like a relay, all right? So it's electromagnet. So like a fuel injector or a, or a solenoid on, on any type of solenoid that the, it could not take three volts over the charging circuit voltage. And that's honestly, I can't swear on a stack of Bibles, but it ran for about 10 or 15, maybe five minutes, okay, not 10 or 15 minutes, I didn't even get to the field. Five minutes with at 16 volts and the solenoid burned open. And that's why the tractor shut off. So take home message here is that if you have an overcharging condition and you may... It, on a, you may damage some of the solenoids. That solenoid should have been made that it could take 22 volts, 24 volts, right? Not, so basically, if someone jumped a, a, a tractor like that and put two 12-volt batteries in series, which would double the voltage, you'd wipe out the solenoid. So this is only a lawn tractor, but keep that in mind in any of your farm equipment. That's why it's so important for you to pay attention to the charging circuit voltage could they have and it could they make a solenoid that's going to take that of course they could but this stuff is made it's so marginal like saying that you have a you know a, a half ton pickup truck and you put one pound more in the springs break all right so really really disappointed in briggs and stratton and uh for making a solenoid that's so that that's so uh manby pamby for lack of better words that you can't even you can't even put a volt or two above the charging circuit voltage into it and it fails so that is basically that second thing i farm with a blue tractor okay all right if you're green or red well i'm blue i farm with a blue tractor and the headlight switch uh it would work on the flashers, which is the first click, and then it's a rocker switch, and then the second click is the headlights. And so, what I because the way our farm is that I I mean it's not a busy road, but I have to go on the road, and I don't want to have any problems. I'm only going maybe a quarter of a mile on a on a road, and it's it's, it's just a tool. I mean it's, it's just a country type of road. But you got these people who moved up here from the city. And good God in heaven, I mean, they, they think they're in the, whatever, I'm not going to go there. So I don't, basically, in essence, I don't like going down the road, the paved road with the tractor without the flashers and the headlights on, okay? That's personally. And what would happen is that the, out of the blue, the rock, the flashers would work, the four ways would work, but uh, when they went the, the, the final detent on the rocker switch, the headlights wouldn't work. The flashes would still work and headlights wouldn't work. So I said, all right, well, let me check this out. Is it a wiring issue? Is it what have you? All right, no power to the, to the lights. All right, fine, that's confirmed. So now I said, let me pop this switch out and let me look at it. And let me take some resistance readings. And it only has, it, it, it's four wires, all right, so it's a, a power, a hot lead. It's got a, a, a wire, a feed to the flashes, a feed to the to the headlights, and then it's got a ground. So it's not like it's overly complicated, like it's a big wiring loom. So I take it, I take it, I, I pop this, I pop the uh, switch out of the console. Then I, I obviously got power, right, because the flashers are working. So I check that anyway. And you want to check that with a voltmeter. You don't want to go in there. A down and dirty is a test light because if the light lights up, you say you got power. But you want to put a number to it. And it should be battery voltage. And if it's running, charging circuit voltage. Whenever you're checking voltage on something, you want to check battery and then charging circuit. So if you're going to be checking, let's say, 
power to the back of a planter you want to confirm that the that the alternator on the, on the tractor or on the planter is putting out the right voltage and then you want to check that you don't want to just say okay it's 12.8 well maybe it's supposed to be 13.8 so all right so keep that in mind and then what happened was that I disconnected, unplugged the switch from the wiring harness. I said, all right, I'm going to take it on the workbench and I'm going to put my own meter across it and I'm going to read, uh, make sure I have continuity. And the crazy thing was that I had continuity to the headlights, to the, to the pole that is going to the headlights. And I had the continuity there for, um, when I, I, I said, how can I have continuity to the headlights and to the well to the flashers i know because they work how can i have continuity to, to both of them and the lights don't work do i have a wiring problem so basically in essence how do you check continuity with an ohm meter you would put the meter on the ohm scale the lowest scale and in most <clears throat> multimeters that's probably 200 ohms all right and you first want to always whenever you're using an ohm meter specifically for low resistance for content for a, a resistance reading you want to put the two leads together the positive and negative and that is going to reveal the internal resistance of that meter so if you're looking at something that's two or three hundred ohms a thousand ohms ten thousand ohms if you have a half a ohm two tenths of an ohm internal resistance on a meter it's not going to make any difference that's like one stalk of corn in a, in a hundred acre corn field but when you're looking for for at low resistance values then it's very important for you to do to read the internal resistance first <clears throat> so let's say that you're checking something that's supposed to be three ohms and the internal resistance is a half ohm then you have to add you have to actually subtract that from whatever reading you get because if it's three ohms and you have a half ohm then you only have two and a half ohms through that circuit so it's very important for you to check that <clears throat> so <clears throat> to make a long story short what happened was that i took a, i made up a little jumper wire and i jumped the hot lead to the lights in the wiring harness right there and you should always have in your toolbox jumper wires and some spade terminal jumper wires also and i did that and the lights work so i said okay no the problem is in the switch all right so i took the switch apart and i saw what happened actually it fell apart inside so now okay when i checked the switch it had continuity it had about three ohms resistance all right uh how did it have three ohms resistance and why didn't the lights work well keep in mind and this is the take-home message again is that our ohm meter puts a very minute current from the nine volt battery that's in internally into the meter so what had happened in the switch is that there was just enough contact because it it broke inside and the pinned connection rotted in, rotted out inside, and it promised, oh, blue track, that's right, rotted. And the thing is that, so it was enough to get a continuity with the ohm meter, but not enough to carry the power to light the lights. And that is what I want you to recognize, that an ohm meter for a continuity test is only good to show you that there is some level of continuity. There may not be enough continuity to activate that circuit and if you would have looked at this alone and said well it's got continuity through the switch how come the lights aren't lighting you would get completely down the wrong path so keep in mind that charging circuit voltage is going to impact the electronics and can
can hurt it if it goes too high. And a continuity test with an ohm meter, whether you're using a ring test where it's a sound or whether you're actually putting a number to it, is a good indicator, but it is not a total indicator. It's like looking at a soil test or a soil test and or a pre-side dress nitrogen test and not doing a tissue test. You can't tell what is going into the plant. This is Capri Cafaro, host of Eat Your Heartland Out. Every week we explore the rich yet often overlooked culinary depth of the American Midwest. Together we'll learn about the food ways of our region through compelling interviews with a variety of guests, each of whom highlight a unique thread in the Midwestern culinary tapestry. Tune in for Eat Your Heartland Out, Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio, Sirius XM 147. Relag Radio is Canada's only daily radio show focused on agriculture. Get expert advice on Agronomic Monday. Tuesdays and Wednesdays will cover a broad range of issues. Thursday, we'll hear from farmers across the country on the Farmer Rabbit Fire. And we'll wrap things up Fridays with the Relag Issues panel with Kelvin Hepner and Lindsay Smith. Join us Monday through Friday at 4.30 Eastern. And don't forget about the replay at 7 in the morning on Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. From Kansas to Ohio, that's where you'll find Pivot Bio. From the Mississippi Delta and the Chesapeake, Nebraska and the hills of Tennessee. Proving on thousands of fields across this great land. When you work the ground till the sun goes down, Pivot Bio's got a plan. Greener plants and a healthy land use our predictable nitrogen. Wherever farmers grow, yeah, that's where we go. Tune in to Commodity Wrap each weekday morning at 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central, and every evening at 5.30 Eastern and 4.30 Central. We'll bring you the latest market details and talk with a variety of market experts. We're gathering the news and insights you need to stay ahead of the curve and protect your bottom line. It's Commodity Wrap on Rural Radio. I'm Mark Chestnut, and thanks for listening to Rural Radio, Channel 147 on Sirius XM. Hey everybody, welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. So uh, I need that two-part show because I went long again, as I always do. But we got to bring in Tex Rubinowitz from Ripsaw Records because he's going to meet us in the farm shop. Come on in, buddy. Let her rip. Everybody, Tex, thank you so, so much. Greatly appreciated. And what we're going to be talking about today is latent heat of vaporization and how a carburetor and spraying crops with something like 2,4-D or dicamber, I should say, more than 2,4-D, has the same effect. All right, there are two, there are similarities in the way a carburetor functions and the volatilization of a crop protection product when sprayed. They both work through latent heat. Latent is defined as invisible. Latent heat is the energy absorbed by a substance during a phase change. 
Latent heat of vaporization is the amount of heat required for a phase change. Volatization is the movement of herbicide vapors. Volatization occurs when the herbicide residue changes phase through the latent heat of vaporization. The vapors can then be carried long distances by the wind, possibly damaging surrounding crops. So that's very, very important for you to understand that when you're spraying a crop, it works a lot like a carburetor. So I want to thank you so much for tuning in. And I want you to know that the Hot Rod Farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher in my beloved, beloved America. You have a blessed day, and I will catch you, God willing, next week. And be safe out there. And remember those electrical issues, they bite hard. A ProBox has enough seed to plant 125 acres of corn. Now, if you wanted to put 40 pounds of nitrogen on those acres, you'd need 1,200 gallons of anhydrous or 1,700 gallons of UAN or 5 tons of urea. But what if that amount of nitrogen was already on your seed? Pivot Bio is now putting nitrogen on seed. The first company to ever apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. This week on Rural Radio, Channel 147. We start this week way down at the bottom of Texas for Rodeo Corpus Christi, Wednesday through Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And then on Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern, we head out to Stetson Wright's home state of Utah for the Stetson Wright Invitational. Your home for the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association is Rural Radio, Channel 147 on Sirius XM. Tune in this week to Rule Radio Channel 147 and listen anytime on the SXM app. It's the Ranch It Up Radio Show. Join me, Jeff Tigger Earhart, the boss lady Rebecca Warner, a.k.a. Beck, and my crew as we go into part one of a two-part series dealing with the pests of pests. We're talking flies because tis the season, right? We have the latest news and market information and it's all this Saturday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time right here. Rural Radio, Channel 147 on Sirius XM.